When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, a brief history. Hi, I'm historian Christine Morgan, and welcome to A Brief History. On this episode, we will continue the story of Henry VII from the book London in the Time of Tudors. In part one, we left off with the wedding of Arthur Tudor, Prince of Wales, and his Spanish princess, Catherine of Aragon. After the ceremony, a splendid feast was held, with dancings and disguisings. Hollinshed concludes his account of the wedding with an anecdote which, if true, proves that the princess was truly the wife of Arthur. The day after, the royal party went to Westminster, where there were tournaments and great rejoicings. The prince died five months afterwards. Another royal wedding, held on the 25th of January, 1502, caused even greater rejoicing. It was that of the Princess Margaret with the King of Scotland, a marriage which promised peace and goodwill between the two nations, a promise which has been fulfilled in a manner unexpected by the failure of the male line of tutors. One observes how strong the desire of Henry VII was to conciliate the goodwill of London. He borrowed money from the city over and over again, but he always repaid those loans. The exactions that we find recorded are chiefly those of his old age, when he was 52 years of age, which was old for that time, and when he had grown covetous. He could be ostentatious when show was wanted, witness the marriage of Arthur to Catherine. He could also entertain with regal splendor, Witness the Christmas cheer that he offered to the mayor and aldermen. Quote, Henry VII, in the ninth year of his reign, held his feast of Christmas at Westminster on the twelfth day. He feasted the mayor of London and his brethren the aldermen with other commoners in great number, and after dinner, dubbing the mayor a knight, caused him with his brethren to stay and behold the disguisings and other disports in the night following showed in the great hall, which was richly hanged and staged about on both sides. Henry VII was respected and feared rather than loved. He kept his word. If he borrowed, he paid back. He was not savage or murderous, and he was a great lover of the fine arts. But the chief glory of his reign is that he enforced order throughout the realm. It is his chief glory, because order is a most difficult thing to enforce at a time when the people have been flying to arms on every possible occasion for 40 years. In the rising of Lambert Simnel, in that of Perkin Warbeck, in the strange determination of the Cornishmen who marched upon London, 
One can see the natural result of a long civil war. Men become very easily ready to refer everything to the arbitration of battle. In such arbitration, anything may happen. It was such arbitration that set Edward up and pulled Henry down and then reversed the arrangement. It was such arbitration that placed the crown on Henry Tudor's head. Why should not young Perkins step into a throne as Richard, Duke of York? Henry accepted the arbitration of battle, defeated his rival, and dispersed rebel armies one after the other. One would think that the spirit of rebellion would quickly be daunted by so many reverses, but it was not so. For nearly a hundred years later, there were still rebellions. They broke out again and again. The people could not lose that trick of flying to arms. The barons could not understand that their power was gone. The memory still survived of princes dragged down and princes set up as fortune turned the way of victory. Henry, like all tutors, was arbitrary. He had no intention of being ruled by the city. Henry also understood very clearly that with a full treasury, many things are possible that are impossible with empty coffers. He accumulated, therefore, a tremendous hoard. It is said to have amounted to 1.8 million pounds in money, plate, and jewels. The events which belong especially to London in this reign, as we have seen, were not numerous, nor were they of enduring importance. As regards building, the king pulled down a chapel and a house, the house where Chaucer once lived, and the west end of Westminster Abbey, and he built a chapel called after his name. Baynard's castle was rebuilt, quote, not after the former manner with embellishments and towers, but more convenient. This was the time when the castle was passing into the country house, and it became now a large and handsome palace built around two courts facing the river, much like those palaces built along the strand, but without any garden except the courts. A curious story of this reign relates how the king, to use a homely proverb, cut off his nose to spite his face. For the conduct of Margaret, Duchess of Burgundy, in acknowledging the pretender, so incensed him against the Flemings that he banished them all. No doubt he inflicted hardship upon the Flemings, but he also, which he had not intended, deprived the merchant adventurers of London of their principal trade. The Hanseatic merchants, perceiving the possible advantage to themselves, imported vast quantities of Flemish produce. Then the apprentices rose and broke into the steelyard, pillaging the rooms and warehouses. There was a free fight in Thames Street, and after a time, the rioters were dispersed. Some were taken prisoner, a few hanged. Nothing more is said about the Flemings, so one supposes they all came back again. Towards the end of his reign, the king, finding himself afflicted with an incurable disease, took steps in the nature of atonement for his sins. He issued a general pardon to all men for offenses committed against his laws, thieves, murderers, and a certain other accepted. 
He paid the fees of prisoners who were kept in jail for want of money to discharge their fees. He also paid the debts of all those who were confined in the counters of Ludgate, for example, the free men of the city, for sums of 40 shillings and under, and some he relieved that were confined for as much as 10 pounds. Hereupon, says Holinshed, there were processions daily in every city and parish to pray to Almighty God for restoring to health and long continuance in the same. But all in vain, for the disease continued and the king died. The funeral of the king was most sumptuous. Quote, His corpse was conveyed from Richmond to St. Paul's on the 9th of May, being met on its way at St. George's Bar in Southwark by the mayor, aldermen, and a suite of 104 commoners, all in black clothing and all on horseback. The streets were lined with other members of companies bearing torches, the lowest craft occupying the first place. Next, after the freemen of the city, came the strangers, Easterlings, Frenchmen, Spaniards, Venetian, Genoese, Florentines, all on horseback and on foot, also bearing torches. These took up their position in Grace Church Street. Cornell was occupied by the lower crafts, ordered in such a way that the most worshipful crafts stood next unto Paul's. A similar order was preserved the next day. The corpse was removed from St. Paul's to Westminster. The lowest crafts were placed nearest to the cathedral and the most worshipful next to Temple Bar, where the civic escort terminated. The mayor and aldermen proceeded to Westminster by water to attend the mass and offering. The mayor, with his mace in his hand, made his offering next to the Lord Chamberlain. Those aldermen who had passed the chair offered next after the knights of the garter, and before all knights for the body, whilst the aldermen who had not yet served as mayor made their offering after the knights. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty. 